Hearing Kyle speak about the kind of ministry he did in Cambodia reminds me that I've been doing a lot of gym ministry lately as well, and nobody seems to have noticed. But, whatever. Well, today we finish out our Unsung Heroes sermon series, and the whole point of this series was to look at people and themes and books of the Bible that are often ignored or neglected. So in week one, we saw the startling picture of God's grace in the story of the prophet Hosea. And then last week, we saw the role that lament plays in the lives of God's people. Specifically, we looked at how the Israelites lamented in the wake of Jerusalem's destruction in 586 B.C. That's when God specifically called Babylon to harm his people as punishment for their sin. And their lamenting eventually led to repentance. But God also allowed someone like Job to lament in the Old Testament, even though Job did nothing to deserve his suffering. But for us, we discussed that while we do have reason to hope in God, we do have reason for confidence in God, that doesn't instantly make pain and suffering go away. And in the body of Christ, we can openly and honestly grieve, openly and honestly lament. We don't have to put on a happy face all the time simply because we're Christians. And lament is not a sign of weakness, and it's not evidence of a lack of faith. But we shift today to two books of the Bible that are often unsung or ignored, and those books are 2nd and 3rd John. Maybe they're overlooked because they're the two shortest books in the New Testament. And on top of that, they're right next to 1st John, a much longer book with lots of memorable passages. But one theologian, I. Howard Marshall, writes this, 2nd and 3rd John have often been thought to be insignificant and unimportant alongside other writings by John. Their position after 1st John has put them in its shadow, and readers who begin with 1st John may well conclude that there is nothing fresh to be found in 2nd and 3rd John. Well, we disagree. These two short books are not insignificant. They are not unimportant. And there is plenty of good, fresh teaching to be found in them. Good, fresh teaching that will greatly benefit us, which is why we're going to read them today. And if you've never spent much time in 2nd and 3rd John before, if you've overlooked them or just read right through them, you might be surprised by how many good, wise nuggets of teaching you'll find. And you'll find that John's guidance isn't just valuable for his audience way back then. It's universal wisdom for individual believers today and collective churches today. So open up to the books of 2nd and 3rd John. They should be near the very end of the New Testament if you don't know where they are. Feel free to use the Bibles that we provide if you didn't bring one, and take a Bible home with you if you don't own one. But before we get into our text this morning, let's pray together as a church. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have to hear from your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to be the church. Uh, So many of us face challenges and hardships uh, throughout the week, and so many of our weeks are filled with change and transition and unexpected troubles and just all kinds of things that come up that 
disturb us and rattle us. And yet, Father, thank you that we know every Sunday we can come here and we can sing to you, we can take communion, we can hear from your word. And if nothing else, I pray that hearing from your word and singing and taking communion would remind us of of your stability in the midst of a very unstable world and unstable life. So, Father, thank you for this time that we have to open up your word. I pray that the way I preach it and the way that we listen to it as a congregation and the way that we apply it as individual believers and as a church would bring you glory. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as you look at these two books side by side, which is not hard to do because they're both so small, it's not hard to see a number of both similarities and differences between them. The biggest difference between 2nd and 3rd John is that 2nd John is addressed to a church. He refers to the church as the elect lady and her children. But then 3rd John is addressed to an individual by the name of Gaius. That's the biggest difference. But then we see some similarities. Both letters address the problem of false teaching, a big theme in all of John's writings. Both letters are concerned about unity within the body of Christ, especially in the face of false teaching. John ends both letters by mentioning a lack of paper and ink. Apparently, John's administration team needed to increase his budgets. But the biggest similarity I'd like to draw your attention to in both books is this phrase that occurs both times, both letters. And the phrase is walking in the truth. We see it in 2 John, verse 4. We see it in 3 John, verses 3 and 4. It's pretty clear that John wants these believers to walk in the truth. But what exactly does that mean? And on top of that, along with every other command and every other teaching in the pages of Scripture, walking in truth is easier said than done. There are some particular challenges these believers are facing that could prevent them from walking in the truth. There's tension with false teachers trying to influence them. We already mentioned that. But there's also a tumultuous leadership conflict to be dealt with. And we'll come to that later. But nevertheless, John gives these believers clear examples of what it looks like to walk in truth. He commends them in areas where they are already walking in truth. But then he warns them about things that could derail them from walking in truth. And again, these are snippets of wisdom that Christians like you and churches like ours can use today. So let's begin by reading 2 John, starting in verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. There's that phrase. Just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, 
so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. So we see several examples of what it means to walk in the truth just in those 11 verses. The first example that we see is that a church that walks in truth is a church where the people love one another. We see that in verse 5. You might think back to some of John's writings in 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Sounds familiar. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So this love that John talks about, this love that displays walking in the truth, Well, this love manifests itself in visible, tangible ways. Number one, don't murder each other. That's a good start to loving each other. But then John echoes the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount that, you know what? No, don't just not murder each other. Don't hate each other. Do the exact opposite of murder, the exact opposite of hatred. Be willing to lay down your lives for each other. He goes on and says, show your love particularly for those who have less than you do. Because the love of the brothers, the love of Christ, makes itself known in visible, obvious ways. Another passage in 1 John chapter 4, John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. So we have this command. Love each other. Don't hate each other. Don't murder each other. Help meet each other's needs. Lay down your lives for one another. 
But then John gives us the motivation for this love. The best motivation for this love is being reminded of how much Christ has loved us. Loving us enough to offer himself on the cross on our behalf. In John's mind, there's no getting around this simple fact. A church where people do not love each other is not walking in truth. Because that church is not reflecting the love of Christ displayed on the cross. So a church that is walking in truth is a church where people love each other. But then we see example number two of walking in truth, and that's in Second John verse 6. Obedience to God. Jesus himself is the one who said in John's gospel, chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Pretty cut and dry. Now, does this mean that the only way that a church is really walking in truth is if everyone is perfectly obedient to God all the time? No, we are still very much sinners. But it does mean that a church walking in truth is a church full of people growing in obedience to God by the power of the Holy Spirit. A church walking in truth is full of people leaving old sinful identities and old sinful practices behind where they belong. A church walking in truth is full of people who, slowly but surely, are starting to look just a little bit more like Jesus. A church walking in truth is full of people who are starting to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. So a church that is walking in truth is a church that takes obedience to God seriously for his glory. And then example number three of walking in truth, the last one from Second John, we see it in verses 7 through 11. And that's recognizing and rejecting false teaching. John specifically says there are deceivers out there, teachers who reject sound teaching, about Jesus' incarnation. It's an issue of Christology, as the theologians like to call it, this right understanding of who Jesus really is. In John's day, it may have been popular to suggest that Jesus was fully God during his earthly ministry, but not fully man. He just kind of looked like a man. Some may have even taught that Jesus was fully man, and Christ was fully God, which weirdly cuts Jesus into two separate parts. But John condemns that teaching. He says these people are deceivers who will lead you into destruction. Walking in the truth means being able to recognize false teaching when it comes around and having the courage and the boldness to call it what it is, which is deception. A church that walks in truth not only recognizes false teaching, but takes a firm stand against it. And that includes warning people of the dangers of falling for it. Now, of course, the false teaching that we have to recognize may look different than the false teaching that John had to recognize. False teachings come and go. They come like trends, and then they fade away, and then they come back. There is false teaching out there today that we as individual believers 
And we as a church must be able to recognize and reject. And if you hear this talk about false teaching and think it's all just unimportant, splitting hairs, theological disputes that don't really affect us, well, look again at verses 10 and 11. We see that John is not kidding about false teaching. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, sound teaching about Jesus, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Just a few verses earlier, John called these false teachers antichrist. He does not kid around with this stuff when it comes to false teaching about Jesus. Believers are called to provide no quarter for false teaching because, as Paul argues concerning that unrepentant man back in 1 Corinthians 5, one bad apple can ruin the whole cart. So a church that walks in truth is on guard against the deceptive false teaching of the world. So we see three examples so far of what it looks like to walk in truth. Love one another, obey God, and recognize and reject false teaching. But then third John gives us even more. So we start there, verse 1. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in truth. There's that phrase again. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. Talking wicked nonsense is the New Testament way of saying fake news. And not content with that, Diotrephes refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony. And you know that our testimony is true. So in 3 John, we see example number four of walking in truth, verses five through eight. And that's generosity, hospitality, and general support for good missionaries. John refers to these missionaries as brothers in Christ, even though outside of that, they're relative strangers. Yet in spite of this, these believers have treated these workers well. And John praises the church for it. It's ironic that we sit here today and we have one student who recently went on a mission trip and we have other missionaries here amongst us. I pray that we would treat them well 
that we would show them hospitality and generosity and general support. Because a church that is so inwardly focused that it won't support good missions, that it won't support good ministries outside of its own walls, a church like that is not walking in truth. Because as John says in verse 8, in the big scheme of things, we're all fellow workers for the truth. So we should support those missionaries. And then example five of walking in the truth, we see it in verses 9 through 11, recognizing and rejecting poor leadership. John calls out this man, Diotrephes, by name. And that doesn't happen very often in the New Testament, so the problems must have been pretty severe. But Diotrephes has the power to put people out of the church, which means he must be in some sort of leadership position one way or another. Now, we don't know all the ins and outs of this situation, but the wording that John uses suggests that Diotrephes doesn't play well with others. And it also suggests that Diotrephes may be a man overcome by arrogance and ambition. And if leaders in the church are people that you're called to imitate, it matters whether or not they're pursuing good or evil. Because you don't want to imitate someone like Diotrephes. And a church walking in truth should be able to see when there is something off with the leadership above them. And like John, a church that is walking in truth should have the guts to do something about it. And then finally, example six of walking in truth, recognizing and commending good leadership. We see that in verse 12. Right after John publicly condemns the poor leadership of Diotrephes, he publicly praises a man named Demetrius. A church walking in truth should be able to tell the difference between a Diotrephes and a Demetrius. One is marked by arrogance and ambition and causes division, but the other is consistently spoken well of by the believers and endorsed by other godly leaders like John. One leader should be rejected, and the other should be commended for the church walking in truth. So to review everything we've seen so far, a church that walks in truth is a church where the people love each other. There's obedience to God. There's a recognition and rejection of false teaching. There's generosity and hospitality and support for good missionaries. There's a recognition and rejection of poor leadership. And then finally, there's a recognition and commendation of good leadership. So you put it all together and you have love and obedience, numbers one and two, and then a whole lot of discernment. Verses, rather examples three through six, all kind of revolve around discernment. We shouldn't be surprised that discernment is an important part of walking in truth. After all, to walk in truth means to walk away from what is false. And that's the name of the game of discernment. So you might see these examples and think of some ways that you personally are doing a good job of walking in the truth. But you might also think of ways that you could grow. And the same goes for our church. I'm sure there are some of these things that we're doing relatively well. But there are other things that we can improve upon. 
So how can we, as individual believers and as a church, do a better job of walking in truth? Well, a few suggestions. Number one, when it comes to loving each other, we can keep doing exactly what John suggested by making a point to remember the love that Christ showed for us on the cross. That's why we take communion each week, to fix our eyes on the love Jesus has for us, to remember the sacrifice that he offered on behalf of sinners like us, a sacrifice that takes away wrath, the sacrifice of his own body and blood. Now, the challenge, of course, is to translate the love that Christ has for us into a growing and deepening love for each other. Okay, how about obedience? Well, when it comes to obedience, we can look to Christ for that as well. Christ was perfectly obedient to God the Father. That's why his death was sufficient for our sins. If he had just been another disobedient sinner like us, his death would have been insufficient for our salvation. But he was the sinless son of God in his earthly ministry and is reigning with God as we speak. And if you want to grow in love, set your eyes on Jesus. But if you want to grow in obedience, set your eyes on Jesus as well. The one who is perfectly obedient to God the Father. And then finally, when it comes to all those points of discernment, discerning between true teaching and false teaching, between which missionaries to support and which to maybe avoid, or between which leadership to follow and which leadership to reject, I'd suggest a few things. Number one, look to Scripture. After all, it's easier to reject what's false when you've filled yourself up with what's true. Let God's word permeate your heart and your mind so deeply that you start to develop better instincts for detecting what's true and what's not. Turn to scripture. On top of that, turn to community. Two heads are better than one, right? So look to your fellow believers for guidance. When you find yourself in a position that requires discernment of any of the things that we've mentioned, missionaries and teaching and leadership, Turn to wise and godly fellow believers. Don't feel like you have to discern this stuff all on your own. And then finally, pray. Ask God to give you wisdom and discernment. He joyfully gives it to his people in order that we might walk in truth. Now as we close, I think of Jesus' prayer in John chapter 17, John's Gospel. It's a big prayer. Jesus prays for a lot of different things. But he says this specifically in verse 17. Speaking of his disciples, Jesus says to God the Father, Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Again, there's so much you can talk about from that John 17 prayer. But not least, we see that Jesus prays for his disciples. And prays for us to be sanctified in the truth. It's safe to say that Jesus would agree with John's words that we read earlier. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. So this morning as we close, I pray that we would be individual believers. And that we would be a church together 
but is striving to walk in truth. And look at how John ends his first letter. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Thanks to Jesus, we can say that we are people who are in the truth. We are people who have been made sons and daughters of God. So may we together and individually walk in truth for the glory of God and the good of the church and love for each other and obedience to Christ and discerning all the things that John talks about. May we be people and may we be a church that is sanctified in the truth more and more and more Every single day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the parts of your word that maybe don't get as much attention. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us so that we can know the truth about who you are. We're not grasping around in the dark trying to discover what's true and what's not true. We're not having to play guessing games about who you are or what you want. You've revealed yourself to us right here in your word, and we are so grateful for that. So, Father, I pray that having your word given to us, having the Holy Spirit, having each other, I pray that we might grow in our understanding of the truth, that we might be sanctified in the truth, and that we might walk in the truth. Father, we are in a world that is debating what truth is. Who's to say what's true and what's not true? Is there such a thing as genuine truth in a universal sense? But there is, Father, and you've given it to us. So sanctify us in this truth. Help us walk in this truth that you might be glorified. We love you. We praise you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, and then we'll transition to our closing prayer. Please touch our lips and let them sing the wonders of Hope you bring Please touch our hearts And make them new Because our hearts Were made for you Please take our hands And lift them up To offer you This living cup Please take our lives and make them new, because our lives were made for you. Your every word is what we need to make these songs offer truth. Your every breath is what brings life into this 
sanctified in the truth, if you have questions about what the truth actually is with regard to who you are and who God is and the world that we're living in, all those big questions that we ask, I would encourage you to turn to Christ. Look to him as the true source of salvation. So if you have any questions about that, if you have any doubts about that, if you have anything else that you need to talk about or pray about, meet with one of our elders. They'll be standing at the sides of the room. They'd be happy to answer your questions, happy to tell you about Christ, and happy to pray with you about whatever you might have on your mind. And in addition, one pastoral request I would have of you, please don't look at the sun tomorrow. We worship a God who can heal blind people. That's great news. But the bad news is that we cannot guarantee that he will heal you. So don't look at the sun tomorrow. Be thankful to God for his glory and creation, but just don't look at it. So... Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you that you are the giver of truth, that you are the source of truth, that by your Holy Spirit, we who have trusted and believed in your Son, Jesus, are being sanctified in the truth. So, Father, help us walk in that truth as we leave here. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Christ the propitiation for our sins, the one who took away the punishment that we rightly deserved, and the one who makes us sons and daughters of you in your kingdom. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.